Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study as we continue uh, to walk through the new series, First Peter. Uh, this is our uh, number six session. So if, you, if you're wanting to you know, get the entire study of First Peter, uh, you can go back into our archives. If you're watching on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, uh, just hit playlist uh, and you'll see the other uh, sessions that we've had. You also see some other Bible studies that we've done uh, you know, past uh, Wednesday Bible studies. If you if you find looking for a Bible study you can't find uh, on our YouTube channel, you can always go to BurgessMinistries.com. Now these archives are audio only, but you can find those by clicking on Listen. Uh, and of course, uh, we're getting ready again. If you're listening to us on October the seventh or watching us on October the seventh tonight, uh, we we TheManChurch.com continues to be on the road. We go to Panama City uh, tonight. We'll be at Highland Park Baptist. We are stoked. We're excited. The entire manchurch.com resource center will be there and looking forward to spending some time with all of you. If you want to look at some other things coming up, uh, coming up on, um, on the, um, uh, we'll be moving to November the 8th. I'll be going to Columbus, uh, Mississippi, be kicking off the manchurch.com's uh, uh, first gathering of men, then doing the entire curriculum at First Baptist Columbus, Mississippi on November the 8th. Uh, also, Man Church, uh, this has been going on for a while at my home church, Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham. I'll be doing the next man church for those men uh, at my local church where I actually serve on the men's ministry coming up on the 25th uh, of October. So make plans for that. We also kicked off ticket sales for the Pursuit Men's Conference uh, coming up in Dothan, Alabama on February 19th and 20th uh, at PursuitMensConference.org. You can get that information. And all of our 2021 dates will be coming soon both to rickandbubba.com and burgessministries.com. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today as we get ready to jump into uh, this incredible uh, letter from, uh, from Peter. Uh, help us, Lord, to grab from it today what you intend for us uh, to learn. Refine us into the people that only you can make us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we have uh, been moving through 1 Peter. We're now going to be in chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse 8 today. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to try to work to verse 22 if, if time allows today. I think we can get there. Um, it, was, it was one of those deals. I was studying this, getting ready, putting it all together, kind of timing it out, and I thought, well, I'm almost done. i got plenty of time. Then I ran up on what uh, all of the commentaries that I was reading called one of the most discussed, debated, and controversial uh, and uh, misunderstood verses in the Bible, and that was about three-quarters of the way in, so I realized this may take longer than I thought. But we will get to that today. So let's talk about what Peter is doing. He is writing uh, to, to Christians who are being persecuted by Nero. They've been scattered. He's encouraging them about why they're suffering. Then he goes into um, to chapter 2, and he begins to talk to us about uh, you know, Christian submission, first to the reader, about submitting to earthly uh, authority, uh, people that are in, in places, uh, placed there by God in places of government. Then he gets into um, you know, husbands and wives. We talked about that. Uh, Christian submission uh, with husbands and wife and, and the duties of the wife and the duties of the husband equal but not the same. And we talked about that last week. And now we're going to talk about corporate conduct. What, what, how are we supposed to act as a church? So Peter says, now I'm going to talk to all of you as brothers and sisters inside the church, and, and this is what, uh, what God intends. Let's not forget these things. So we start there in verse 8. Listen to what uh, Peter says. Finally, meaning he's about to wrap up this theme of, of Christian submission and, and behavior. Finally, 
all of you. So now he realized he's saying, I'm not just talking to husbands and wives anymore. I'm not just talking about the government. Uh, I'm not talking about servants. I'm not talking about any of that anymore. I'm now saying, I'm going to speak to everybody in the church body. He says, finally, all of you, and, and he rolls through characteristics of, of believers, and he's going to give us five virtues, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna test ourselves on these today, five virtues that should be fi- found in every believer. What he's trying to paint right now, and I want you all to get this because it's important, especially those of you that are watching in the Western church. Persecution is coming to the Western church. We're experiencing some things we've never seen before. It's nothing compared to the persecuted churches around the world. And frankly, it's nothing compared to what these people were going through at the time Peter's writing. However, it's new to us. This this is a new thing, and it's only going to get worse. So what Peter is telling us, time for us to listen, if, if I could sum it up in a phrase, it's the ideal portrait of the church. This is, this is what it should look like. So here's what he says. First of all, you see the first one he says, have unity of mind. Have unity of mind. Now, this is going to be a tricky one because uh, there's disagreements that go on within the church. There's theological disagreements that go on with the church. But Peter says, as best we can do it on the primary issues, redemption, salvation, discipleship, Let's have unity of mind uh, because there's areas of disagreement over points of doctrine. I mean, we have uh, disagreements within the church over eternal security of a believer. We have disagreements on points of prophecy, um, when and if the rapture takes place. You know, we got your pre-tribs, your mid-tribs, your post-tribs. Uh, we, where, where does God's sovereignty begin and end in, in the matter of personal salvation? Uh, where, where's human choice, responsibility, and accountability? Where does it begin? Uh, where, where's, how does God's sovereignty work with these things going on? We, we can have those discussions. But remember, the Apostle Paul reminded us, too, to not engage in foolish arguments. And I think sometimes we, we, we got to be real, real careful if our secondary issue is treated as a primary. And I think a lot of times we have a lot of Christians right now uh, that, that try to identify themselves with their denomination or they try to identify themselves with their theology more than they try to identify themselves with Christ. Uh, I really believe that some of these great men of the faith would be appalled that we're clinging to theological beliefs above Christ that have their last name tied to it. I think John Calvin would lose his mind if he knew that there was something called Calvinism. Uh, that, that, that sometimes can be treated in a way which it shouldn't. Uh, here's the thing that I think, th- this will kind of give you a clue, and I've, I've actually heard uh, one of my mentors, Steve Gaines, talk about this before, and I think he put it best. We can have disagreements on the secondary issues as long as we have unity on the primary, and that is the gospel. Okay, we, we don't need to lose that. It doesn't matter how you believe God's sovereignty and human choice works out. Is there anybody that's exempt from make disciples? teach them to obey my commands, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what your theology is. You can't get around that one. If you don't agree with that one, then, you know, then the, other, the, the other things that we talk about is that, what, is there many ways to heaven? No, we don't. None of, us, none of us think that. I hope. If you do, you're out. Now, if you start thinking things like God's changed his standard of marriage, well, we got a problem. That, that's something that we can't move on. God's changed his, his standard on, on sexual purity. He's changed his standard, uh, back to this, on, on, on whether the cross was, you know, that, that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. There's certain things that we, that we are worth making a stand on. There's others that aren't. 
And I think we have to be very careful if you take this attitude. And look, trust me, I get emails from all of you. If you take this attitude that if only uh, John Smith, I'm just using that name to represent any person, or I'll do mine, Rick Burgess would be a true Christian if he only agreed with me on this. I mean, he's, he's a Christian, but I guess, but if he only had my theology on, say, if he was only a Calvinist, if he, if he would just get that, if he was early, only Armenian, if he would just get that, if he just understood a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, if he just understood speaking in tongues, if he was just part of the Catholic Church and he understood that, that, uh, how, how would we take the sacraments. See, if you start thinking that, I think you're, prob- I think you're a problem. I think we can agree to disagree on the secondary stuff, but let's have unity of mind. This is what Peter is talking about when it comes to who Jesus is when it comes to how someone is redeemed, when it comes to redemption, justification, sanctification, making disciples, evangelism, these are things that we really can't get around because they don't belong to any denomination. Okay? Oh, if if only Rick had water baptism right, he'd be a real Christian. Frankly, hey, honestly, I'm tired of all that. Because, well, let me tell you something, that is divisive, and that's the adversary getting in the middle of the church, and now we're engaging into foolish arguments. And Peter says, I don't think we should have that. The non-essentials should be secondary. They should be discussed in private. They should not be argued about in front of lost people or baby Christians because you know what it does? It confuses them. And I think we have a great responsibility. And if you take on an an arrogant uh, spirit when it comes to to your denominational stuff, I uh, I think that you need to rethink that. And I don't just think that. It sounds like Peter does as well, which is much more important than me thinking it. Non-essentials. There, there's some non-negotiable issues. I got that on faith and doctrine. But we must have unity as much as possible on the things that we agree on. Can we be known more for what we agree on as opposed to what we disagree on? So that's what Peter is saying. So what's the next thing that he says? So let's, let's have unity of mind. The next thing he says is, is sympathy. Let's, let's have sympathy. Let's be compassionate. Uh, the Greek word here, and I want you to, this is important, because sometimes we take the word sympathy, our English word, and, and we go, oh, sympathy. Okay, so, so Peter says I should be sympathetic. Well, man, I hate that. Or, hey, know that I, know that I feel bad for you. It, it's really more than that when it comes to the brothers and sisters of the faith. You know what the Greek word here that we're using for sympathy means? To suffer with. It's the Greek word, let me get in here with you. Let, let, let me get down there with you. Let, let, let me not just give you a, a motivational text. Hey, thinking about you, let, let me get in there and get my hands dirty. Let, let me get down there with you and, and let me suffer with you because we should suffer for each other and suffer with each other. That's really the word that he's using on words that we would say be compassionate or as the English Standard Version that I'm using says to be sympathetic. So, so that's the connection that we should have. There's, there's a connection to the brothers and sisters of the faith that is unlike any other connection you have in the world. And we'll get deeper on that as we go forward. So the next thing that, uh, that Peter says of these virtues, the ideal portrait of the church, is we should have unity of mind. We should have sympathy or suffer with each other. And the next one is we should have brotherly love. If you have your Bible uh, or something with your Bible on it, let's go over to the Gospel of John. Because uh, when Peter's writing this, I'm thinking some of the things that he's thinking about. Uh, so let's go to John. Let's go to chapter 13. Let's look at verse 34 and 35. So John 13, 34 and 35. And here is what Jesus is saying to his disciples as he begins to teach them. 
A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now look at 35. This is the reason. This is why Peter's talking about this. You think Peter doesn't remember this? Jesus said to them, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there, there's, there's certainly the love that we have for a human being just because they're made in the image of God. Got it. But there's a different, unique, kind of head-tilting love and connection the brothers and sisters of the church are supposed to have. And Jesus says, as a matter of fact, the love y'all have for each other, the way you treat each other, that'll draw people to me. They'll see that and know that you're my disciples. Another thing that Peter was likely thinking about, let's flip over to verse 21. I, I mean, chapter 21. I love this. This is one of my favorite um, uh, historical events in the Bible, and we all remember this. And this is when Peter's being reconciled back to Jesus. Oh, it's so good. I hope you, I hope you all have gone back and watched or listened to when we did this lesson, uh, when we did our journey through the Gospel of John. I, I just love this because what did uh, Jesus tell Peter when he's reconciling himself to Peter for denying him three times? He says uh, he asked him if he loves him. And, and we see this. Uh, look at, look at uh, chapter 21, uh, verses um, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Remember, this is Peter writing what we're studying right now. Do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, well, then tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, well, then feed my sheep. So in other words, we can say we love Jesus, but if, if Jesus says, it, you, do you love me the way you should? And we say, well, of course we do. And you know what he says? Well, then love, love the body. Love my sheep. Tend to them. Care for them. Teach them. Grow them. That's the kind of love that Jesus expects for us to have, and it's the kind of love that Peter is talking about who experienced these, both of these moments. And he's, I just see him recalling that now as an older man as he writes this down. So he says to the church, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, have sympathy or suffer with each other, have brotherly love. And what's the next thing he says? A tender heart. A tender heart. So what does he mean by that? So I, searching the original Greek here and looking at some of the commentaries, what, what Peter is really saying here is be full of pity. Have empathy for people. You know, put yourself in their shoes. Don't, don't, be, so, don't be so hard. Don't be so rough on people. Hey, give, give, them, give, them, uh, give them some grace. Give, give them some mercy. Uh, be tender-hearted. Don't be so hard-hearted, especially when it comes to the babies of the faith. I, I can just, I just know because a lot of times, uh, you know, some of us that may be further down the road, and I can remember when I was just an infant, and I still got a long way to go. Uh, I, I would probably be best called a teenager now, but I remember when I was a baby, and and how it felt when people who knew more than I knew, um, uh, they they didn't, they were cold, they they were hard to approach, they they almost were annoyed by my lack of knowledge. Uh, but then there were those who reached out their man and just grabbed you and loved you and helped you and discipled you. And then when you'd mess up, you know, instead of really coming down on you, they say, all right, let's get back on our feet. Let's, let, let's go. Let, understanding the position that someone is. Now, there's a time that we have to, you know, have severe accountability when we get to people who ought to know better. But, but when people are just working this out and someone's going through a tough time, let's have pity for them. Let's have empathy. Let's not be cold and let's not be callous. And that's something I have to work on because I can be cold and I can be callous. Um, I, I, I don't come from a very tender-hearted family. 
And uh, so I have to work on that. That's a supernatural thing for me is to have a tender heart. Uh, but I'm definitely being softened by the Holy Spirit. So thank you, Lord, for changing me. Got a long way to go, but he's working on me. Um, so now let's go to our fifth virtue. So he says, there, these are, this is the ideal portrait of the church. I want you to have unity of mind. I want you to suffer with each other and have sympathy for each other. I want you to love each other. I want you to have a tender heart, have pity and empathy for each other. Don't be callous. Don't be cold. And then finally, what? I want you to have a humble mind. Well, that's a tough one, isn't it? So, so really what we're told in Scripture is to consider others above ourselves, to be selfless. Uh, remember what Jesus said. Uh, deny self, Luke nine twenty three. Deny self, uh, you know, pick up your cross and, and and follow me. So so this is we say be, be have a humble mind. Meaning, how do I think of myself? He's, so because so, he didn't just say be humble. He says have a humble mind. How, how do how do I think of myself? Do I consider others to be above me? Do I lower myself to serve anyone in the church? Am I, am I a foot washer? Or do, honestly, if I, if I was telling the truth, I kind of see myself better than other people. Within the church, I see myself as maybe, you know, pious and lifted up and a, and, and a bigger deal in the church than, say, this person. Are you the kind of person that at your church, if the fellowship hall just had the Wednesday night dinner, do you, or do you feel like it's above you to clean up? Do you, do you feel like it's above you to take the trash out? Would you go in there and mop the floor? Would you walk into this woman who's, who's been doing this for 20 years and say, hey, tonight, why don't you go on home? I got this. Or do you think, well, that's her deal. I mean, she's the, I'm, I'm a big teacher here in the church, or I'm one of the ministers, or I'm a deacon. By the way, if you're a deacon and you don't want to clean up the fellowship hall, you don't know what the role of the deacon truly is. You're supposed to be the lead servant. If you go back and look, they went over to Stephen, who was no slouch. I don't know if you heard him preach. I think if anybody could have said, I don't think I need to clean up, it's Stephen. But you know what he was told to do? You go around and be sure the widows and the orphans. Well, you go check on the widows. But we hear some of them are not getting what they're supposed to get. And he didn't say, wait a minute, guys. I, I know the scriptures as much as you do. Why am I the one going to do this? You know what he said? I got it. It's done. You can, it's handled. So, so do you have that, that humble mind uh, that, uh, that Peter says we should have? So there they are. There's the, there's the virtues. Unity of mind. Sympathy and suffering with others, brotherly love, that unique love for your brother and sister in Christ, a tender heart, pity people, have empathy for people, and a humble mind. You see yourself as a wretched sinner. Can I just get to let you know something? I don't care how well you know the Word of God. I don't care how many seminaries you've been to. I don't care how many times somebody's patted you on the back. I don't care how well you dress. You are going to come into heaven the same way the smallest person in the church is going to come to heaven, and that's through redemption and grace and mercy. You are as wretched as anybody in the church. And if you need to keep that in your mind. We've all been forgiven quite a bit, and nobody is going to strut into heaven. So that's what he's saying. So now he moves on to this because now we're getting into, you know, when somebody doesn't treat you right. Remember, they're being persecuted right now. And then Peter says something next. Now, remember who's saying this. This is Peter who was ready to kill when he was with Jesus. Why did Peter cut the man's ear off? Because he missed. We've said that a bunch of times. Okay? But look at this. He says in verse 9 of chapter 3 in verse Peter, in 1 Peter, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So don't. Pay evil for evil, 
And look, if somebody reviles you, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't revile them back. But on the contrary, and then he just puts a word out there with a comma on each side of it, bless. What? For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Bless. What in the world is he talking about? He's saying don't repay evil for evil. And what this means, if you belong to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to say it the way this is really written in the Greek, it prohibits a natural response. If you belong to Jesus, a natural response is prohibited. Wow. So over time, I'm going to be so filled with the Spirit. I'm back to the Gospel of John again, John 15. Abide in me, I abide in you. Uh, when you abide in me and you produce the fruit, proving to be my disciple. Proving because of the fruit, because you're, you're, you're connected to me. If you're a branch not connected to me, you wither and you die. You're only good for the fire. So what Jesus is saying is, if you're connected to me over, through, the, through the sanctification process, you get to the point that because of me, because of God's seed being in your spirit, Keep in mind, the Holy Spirit is the, is the part of the Trinity that raised Jesus from the dead. And now that's in your spirit, then a natural response is prohibited. Hmm, somebody write that down. <laughs> well, so he's saying, yeah, if people treat you evil, it's natural to want to return evil, but that's why it's naturally wrong. You're not natural. That's prohibited. So what you want to do is to not give the response to the person that has wronged you. You want to give a different response. And it says you want to provoke God's blessing, are you ready, on them. <laughs> that can only be done supernaturally. So somebody's treating you evil, and Peter says, here's what I want you to do. Bless them. Bless. What, the people who hate me? Absolutely. Just put God's blessing on them. It's the only way they're ever going to change. You're not going to change them. So you're just going to elevate the situation and make it worse. And then by the time you leave, there's no, there's no, there's no example of Jesus. There, there's no pointing anybody to God. All you've done is acted just like anybody else would act. And so Peter says, that's not who we are. That's not the ideal portrait of the church. We are going to be blessed. You know what he's calling for? I, I, I kept doing some study on this. He's saying, you know the blessing that's coming for you, right? You're, you're redeemed. How can you get upset with somebody who's treating you evil when you already know what God's done for you? This is no big deal because you know you're, you're heaven-focused. You know the blessing that is coming for you, so just bless them. Just, just, almost, almost give them the Jesus, hey, hey God, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What if Jesus hadn't said that? What if he said, hey, strike every one of these people down and get me off this cross? Well, we'd all be doomed. And he could have done it. But he shows us the example, which in my humble opinion, which you might not get a lot out of this, I think that's what brought the other thief in. Now, if you go read all four of the Gospels, you find that both thieves were mocking Jesus, not just one. You know, as a little boy, I heard this story. I go, one good thief, one bad thief. That's not what's going on. They're both insulting him, just dogging him. But one of them changes, and it changes after this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And one of them said, what did he say? See, that was something he What? We deserve to be up here. He doesn't. 
And he's not screaming injustice. He's saying, all this they're doing to me, they're doing it out of ignorance. Hey, hey, Father, until I redeem them, they don't know any better. Back to Stephen. He said the same thing, by the way, when he was being stoned. Don't hold this against them. Boy, these, I got work to do. Uh, but, that, but that's the standard. That's where we're supposed to be. That's where we're going. So if you're not there yet, then your sanctification process, don't give up. Just continue to pursue this. So, so these are all things that have been said. Now we, we jump to 10, and we see, and this is a fascinating story, we now see Peter, he's about to start quoting from the Old Testament. Verse 10, here's what he says. After saying what he said uh, that we just heard. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, where did this come from? Well, it came from Psalms 34. It came from Psalms 34, 12 through 16. Now, you got to know what's happening, right? Make a note of that, and you go back and read it. Psalms 34, 12 through 16. So what happened here? This Psalm of David, what's going on with David? Why is Peter grabbing this? I'll tell you why. David is, uh, you know, is one of those men we look at. He did a lot of things wrong. And this is one of them, and he's ashamed of it as he writes this psalm. Here's what happened. David is running from King Saul because King Saul wants to kill him. And David rolls on into Gath uh, because he is now going into the enemies of his own people to seek refuge, to hide from Saul, and, want, and the people recognize him as the guy who killed Goliath. Well, you don't want that. Hey, 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 we know you. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the guy who killed Goliath. Well, instead of saying, you're right, I'm here, I'm running from King Saul, I need to get out of here, or whatever, David begins to act like he's gone crazy, like he's become a lunatic, begins to slobber into his beard, begins to talk all these weird things out of his head, and pretends like he's mad, and, he, and he, he's so successful at doing this, is that uh, they threw him out of Gath and thought he was crazy. So that's part, we have David writing about the shame of how he behaved in a moment, and he, first of all, he went and sought refuge where? In the enemies of his own people. So that's bad. Then, and we talk about lying in here, guess what he did? I mean, he did not do Ahimelech uh, right at all. Ahimelech the priest came to David, who, and Ahimelech was afraid of Saul. And he's like, David, I can't, I know Saul's after you, I'm terrified. Uh, and, Saul, and David said, oh, no, no, I'm good with Saul, it's fine. He's not, he's not mad at me anymore. He sent me here to, to do it. I'm starting a business for him. So just let me go on through. And uh, so I got no problems. You have nothing to be afraid of. Won't you help me? Help me get to where I'm going. And uh, Don't worry. Saul and I are good. Well, that wasn't true. So David goes on up into the limestone uh, mountains, and he goes into the crevices and the caves. And guess what King Saul did when he found Ahimelech? He murdered him and 85 other priests. Because of David's lie. So David is writing this psalm, and Peter is reminding himself and us, remember what David said about us being people who want to want to do evil and want to lie and want to be deceitful. We can't be those kind of people. Why? Well, he tells you in this. He, he, he knew what it was like. Peter knew what it was like to lie. Remember him lying? Hey, you were Jesus. No, no, I'm not with Jesus. 
No, no, no. I, you, you were with him. Then he gets to the point where he's swearing and cussing. I wasn't with him. So Peter knows what this brings too. So what he wants to do is take the example of David and probably thinking about the example of himself, and, and he wants to tell us that we should do this. The right path is to be saintly in character. So he starts off and he says, you got to do good, not evil. you got to be people who are trying to have peace, not conflict. you got to be in prayer, and your prayer focuses on the Lord, and, it, and, and then the Lord will turn you away from evil minimize your exposure to trouble by doing good. I know that's an uncomfortable thing to talk about today. We're, we just act like that we can do whatever we want to do, and then when something bad happens to us, we can't figure out how that happened. Well, the Bible saying here's one way not to have people come down on you and not have bad things happen to you. Here's one way to minimize that. Now, sometimes the Lord brings stuff down on you for no other reason, Job a great example, than to refine you. But let's face it, Rick Burgess can tell you, I can look at my life, and a lot of trouble in my life was caused by me, my behavior. If I had acted good versus evil, I would not have been in trouble with authority. I wouldn't have been in trouble with this person. I wouldn't be having to lie to this person. I wouldn't have been had the trouble when they at work. And, I, you know, some, and that's what he's saying is, guys, why don't you choose to live a saintly life and, uh, and, and remember how the Lord looks on those that do evil versus those who do good. So how about this? Do good. I mean, stay away from evil. And then he goes on to explain it even more. Look at 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? He says, minimize the exposure. You're not going to get in some of the trouble that, that you have in your life because you've chosen not to do evil. Do good. 14. Now this is different, and he, he transitions to the other because it's important that we, we always know the word but. You know, I, I, he says this, but, in 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. See, now what he, what he says in 14, if you suffer for righteousness, you are blessed, so don't be afraid. He's saying, if you're suffering because you did evil, that's on you. But now, if you start getting persecuted, as these Christians are getting, because of your devotion to Jesus, are you being persecuted because of the good that you're doing and the evil world comes against you? Well, that's different. So what we have to ask our question is, if you're having trouble right now, are you in a horrible situation, did your behavior of being evil, bring that on you? Or are you doing good and you're just being persecuted by the world? That's two different things. And he says, if you're being persecuted, let it be because of all the good you do, not because of all the bad you do. And he says, if, if, if all the good that you've done and you're, you're being suffering for righteousness, you will be blessed. So the, get ready. You know, anytime you're suffering on, because of your devotion to Christ, now remember, it's also what he's saying, you've heard me say this, and I've had to work this out in my own life, if you're being persecuted, because let it be for your devotion to Christ, not because you're a jerk or not because you don't know how to act. That's two completely different things. And one is a blessing, and one is you're getting what you brought on yourself. And so let it be the, la uh, the first, not the latter. In 15, when he says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, 
And then the part that I want to leave out, yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, I like when somebody pushes me in a corner and I get ready to come out with Jesus and, and then Peter would step and say, hey, Burge, do this with gentleness and respect. If you're going to defend the gospel, are you going to tell them why you have a hope and you're going to tell them about Jesus? Don't be condescending. You do it with gentleness and respect. And I will tell you this, and, um, and I, I think of people in my heart right now that I know very well, and let me tell you something, as they have been uh, suffering they have always been prepared to make it a defense on why they don't suffer like everybody else. And I see them show the hope they have in Jesus. And when you show the hope we have in Jesus in times of trouble and you do it with gentleness and respect, I don't know that anything on this earth preaches more than us telling people why we have hope when people normally don't. And you know what Peter said? Be ready. Be ready to tell them that. So how do you, how, how do you get ready? Well, some of you buy things like this today. We're spending time in the Word, and we're learning. We're, 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 we're growing. We're being discipled. We're maturing in the faith. And you know what happens? Just like anything else in life. I've told you the, the funny thing that my wife has said to me. I know this may be shocking, but I was not a great student in school. And I remember talking about, like, I had some kind of issue with the way they did testing and the way they did classes. And my wife gently and respectfully said, Honey, any test that you don't prepare for will be difficult. You won't do well with it. And so this is what Peter, this Peter said, always be ready, right? He didn't say, hey, good luck to you, and it'll just come. Always be ready to give a defense for the hope that people see in you. And when you do that, do that with gentleness and respect. So always, be, are you ready? If, you, if, you're, if you're with this Bible study right now, could, could you honestly say that right now, number one, people are going to see you and me act differently in situations that uh, people who are not redeemed would act. And then when somebody says, how, how are you not just ready to just give up? What is this hope you have right now, even in the worst of the worst? You're ready to make a defense and say, I'll tell you why I have hope. And you're able to do it with gentleness and respect. I hope you are, because the Bible says that we should be. And boy, nothing preaches quite like you being in a tough situation and still showing the hope that you have in Christ. And I have lots of friends and, uh, and, and seen it that, um, that do that quite well, and it works like nothing else. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Uh, I, had, uh, I have a young man that I am uh, uh, mentoring, and uh, he and I have become great friends. And um, he says, um, he, he called me one day, and he said, I'm very, very upset. Uh, I'm here at work. Uh, I have been treated poorly, and I'm just ready to walk out of here. And I just, I got to call you. And I said, well, that's exactly the opposite of what you should do. That is the wrong thing to do. And so he, he and I said, now, when I'm saying this, it doesn't mean the way you're being treated is okay. So don't hear that. But right now, what you need to do is today, you need to work in such a way you need to be respectful in such a way that anybody who's trying to cut your pay or cut your hours or do whatever, they look stupid. That's what you're supposed to do. See, what's going to happen if you, if you puff up and walk off the job, you know what the guy who's trying to cut you back is going to say? Say, I did the right thing. This guy, that, see, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about right there. But when you get in there and work even harder, Stay a little longer, 
be even more respectful and your behavior is above reproach and your work ethic is above reproach and you live as a person of character, you know what happens when people try to run you down? People go, ah, I don't see that. I think you're the idiot. Because, because I know this guy or I know this woman and the way they live their life and the way that they uh, you know, go about every task, I really don't find fault in them and kind of think less of you because you do. As opposed to, I hear you. I, I agree with everything you're saying about them. So we don't complain. We don't do poor, poor, pitiful me. That's one thing that we do at our house. We have this thing, if anybody's getting a little whiny, we start singing poor, poor, pitiful me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. And we don't do that. That's, that's not the way we do it. We don't have a pity party. What we do is we live out our faith in such a way, if people come against you, they look bad, not you. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. He said, so if somebody reviles you for good behavior, they look like an idiot. If somebody reviles you for bad behavior, everybody agrees. And so Peter says, make a note of that. He says, uh, be sure that you have good conscience, knowing that if they're coming against you, it's not. there's no justification for it. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for, for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Don't miss that. You, you have great character, but if you suffer for good, not because you deserve it, you know what else he said? Don't miss the part in here because some of the, the, we talk about this a lot. For it's better to suffer for doing good, don't miss, if that should be God's will. So sometimes it's God's will that I suffer even though I'm doing everything he says? Correct. Sometimes it is. Why, Rick? I don't know. To reach somebody by the way you respond? To refine us? To humble us? I, all this is in the Bible. Remember, we did the lesson where we walked through the Bible uh, and gave you every single reason the Bible says that we suffer sometimes when you don't think you deserve it. Uh, the Bible's not silent on this. There's all kinds of reasons. And sometimes that is God's will. And he says if that happens and you suffer for doing good, that's all right. That's a blessing. That's different. All right, so now we're moving in. We're about to get in some deep, deep water now. Now, the first one's pretty straightforward. I'm even taking a breath to get ready for it because I'm about to have to handle something that's extremely deep, and I'll give you the best shot I can give you at it, uh, but you might want to follow up, and you can do your own research. But let's do the easy part first. So in the, in the, then Peter moves to something that we can never forget. You worried about suffering? Look to Christ. Is there a better example of someone who, who was persecuted and suffered for no reason than Jesus? Don't you love that when Christians think that God can take on human flesh, be perfect, and suffer tremendously, but, we, we're, but I want to be exempt from it? God didn't even exempt himself from it. So wh why do you think you're going to be exempted from it? So he says, don't forget about Christ, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, uh, the righteous for the, uh, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, and then hold there, because 19, we're going we're gonna to really go. Uh, so Christ's suffering had, had, had purposes. One, it was redemptive, okay? It, it was redemptive. It, he went to pay the price. That's why he suffered, to pay the price that we deserved. And then it says he could, he could have turned away. The Garden of Gethsemane, he could have turned away. Uh, well, he, he, you even hear Jesus talking to himself in the Gospel of John. Why my, my heart is troubled, but why? why? Why am I doing this? I know this is why I came. I came to do the will of my Father. I came to go to the cross, but now my heart is troubled. Uh, in the garden, capillaries bursting, stress of the wrath of God being poured out on him. Uh, is there another way? 
when he heard nothing from heaven, praise his holy name. He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. Resolute to the cross, and he went. So he suffered to redeem us, but he also died and went into, in, in, into the tomb. Why? So he could be raised. So the Holy Spirit could raise him up. His flesh dies, and the Holy Spirit raises him from the dead. Then he comes out and says, I got it. I went to the cross and I paid the price for sin. I came out of the grave, defeated death. So eternal death is defeated. But then comes the deep part in verse 19. Everybody ready? In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Ooh. Well, well. One of the most difficult and controversial passages in the New Testament is what some of the, uh, the, the, the commentaries I read. Now, remember, this is important because here's some things you're going to hear that are incorrect. And I could not find a commentary anywhere that didn't say this was incorrect. And I've heard people say this before. Well, once Jesus, you know, the three days he was in, you know, he's at, he went down into Hades and he, and he, and he evangelized all the people uh, from the Old Testament and he went down and he, and, he, and, he, and he preached and he preached. He didn't preach. He proclaimed. It's important for you to, 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 to get that right. Jesus went and proclaimed these things into which the Greeks called Hades, uh, the Hebrews called Sheol, or there's another, it's the S-H-E-O-L. Uh, they say it a different way in the Hebrew, but I can't say it though. I can't get the, <laughs> uh, but, but that, that, this is the place of the dead. And then, of course, uh, there's another word for it in Greek that I can't think of. It's T-A-R-K something. Uh, but anyway, so this is what he's talking about. But, but understand he's been very specific. Who is he proclaiming in your face to? And it isn't in your face. That's what this is. So remember, because he's referring to Noah, what he's talking about, and I hate to bring up this word, but I'm going to have to go with me to Genesis 6. I'm going to have to talk Nephilim. Here we go. When you start talking Nephilim, people lose their minds. Nephilim, let's go to Genesis 6. What is the Nephilim? Well, the Nephilim, what we had here is we had the angels uh, that had fallen, and some of the third of the angels that went with Satan, remember, they were cast down onto the earth. Okay, remember, this is pre-flood. And so what happened is some of these fallen angels attempt, went and found uh, the, the human women to be attractive, and they began to have offspring with them. Now, why was this happening? Well, it was an attempt for Satan to do his own version of half man, half God. So he, this is blasphemy. Uh, so this is happening with these fallen angels. God hates it. Uh, he's very, very uh, upset about this. But remember, understand why Jesus is proclaiming this, what Peter's talking about, because Satan is making, and he, hey, Satan came close. Hey, folks, he got everybody but eight. So he, he is on offense, and he wants to destroy all mankind. He does not want mankind to be redeemed. So he's creating his own fake version of 100% of, of God, 100% man, by taking the sons of God and the sons of man and combining them into the Nephilim, this new offspring. So these angels that did this, this is what God says in, uh, in chapter 6 and uh, verse 24. Uh, I'll go there and I could tell you the whole story, but I think I've laid it out pretty good. So let's go, uh, not 24. This is, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not 24. That's, 
There is no 24. Listen to what he says. When man began to multiply, 6-1, on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the, into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old and the men of renown, five, and the Lord saw all that the weakness, wickedness of man was great on the earth and had every intention and thoughts of his heart were evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I've created from the face of the land, man, animals, creeping things, birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I don't know why I said 24, but um, it was, it's, it's, it's the beginning of chapter 6. So that's just a misprint on my part. So we know this is Satan's attempt. God's going to wipe it out. But Enoch had been hanging around. Enoch did pretty good, so God walks him into heaven. Because it's talking about God's waiting here. God walks Enoch into heaven. You're out. Methuselah, he, he, he lived longer than any other man. He let Methuselah work himself out. So now when these two men are gone, all he finds favor with now, talking about God, is Noah and his family, eight people. And he's going to wipe everything out, including this attempt by Satan to create these half-men, half-God creatures. He's not going to let it happen. This is Satan trying to keep mankind from being redeemed. That's what's going on. So that's what's kind of cool about this. So now let's go back. So Noah and his family survive. Satan got every single human being but eight. The flood wiped out everybody else. So now Jesus goes to, to where these evil angels that did this have now been placed in what the Greek says, are really a cage, a prison. And what, he, what Jesus went there is to proclaim to these fallen angels. Now, he'll let them out again toward the end before they go into the final. They're in a holding pattern right now. And Jesus went before them standing there had completed redemption for all mankind, for the sons of Adam. And he looks at these, these uh, evil demons who tried to, to keep this from happening. He looks to Satan. He looks at the demons that he was trying this. And he said, hey, I beat you. I'm proclaiming the gospel. Somebody need to say amen to that. I have redeemed the sons of Adam. You didn't do it. You got close. But I got Noah and his family in the boat. And I put them up on the water. As the floods came and the waters didn't get them, I came out and I started over and I started my plan of redemption. And guess what? It's over. Your attempt to destroy mankind, Satan, and the demons that went with you, those of you that went down and tried to do your own version of man and God, you're defeated, rejected. I proclaim it's over. You got no hope as he looks into the prison that they put him in. Look who I am. And that's what Peter is talking about. And it's really quite beautiful. So then he goes on to say, 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, talking about this thing about the ark and the water. This is kind of cool. Now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Don't miss this, because some, some, some of the theology out there leaves this next part out through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't leave that out. You can dunk in water all you want to, but if there's been no resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's just water cleaning dirt off of you. 
is what Peter is saying. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and power having been subjected to him. Satan's imitation of God and man is defeated by the genuine article. Mm. Satan has no more hope, but guess what he does now? He wages war on the church. That's all he can do now. Peter was seeing the slaughter and the counterattack counter of Satan because you know what Peter's watching, and guess what? It's going to get him too. He's watching Nero. Nero might as well have been the devil himself, trying to eradicate Christians. He's taking Christians, and he's, he's, he's killing them and hanging them on the streets and using them as fire to light the streets. And Peter is saying, you know what he's reminding him? This is important. Don't miss this. Satan's defeated. Y'all know that now. I know this looks bad. And this is Satan raging on us right now, but he's defeated. He, if, if they kill you because Satan's a plan was destroyed, you're going to be redeemed. They'll kill your body, but they won't kill your soul. They will not take your spirit. Jesus has proclaimed that that attempt was invalid. And, uh, it, and, and so even with all this going on, and guess what? As these angels are incarcerated, the church just marches on. And so he talks about baptism, which corresponds to this good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what he's pointing to? He just said, don't miss this. He, did, he just said, now remember, Noah and his family, the eight, were saved by the water because they were put inside this ark. And everybody who entered the ark was saved by God's wrath. Everybody who did not, which, by the way, I, I had this the other day. A person was talking to me, and they, they were, and it was, they were, and they, and they got off what they were listening to. But, you know, we got to remember that, you know, and God, uh, you know, this thing where God's a human worshiper. I hate that, and I see some of this creeping into the church. Well, you know, we got to go back that, that, you know, when God created mankind, you know, He it was always good, and we got to go back to the good. And, and before the fall, and remember that—that's God. That's the way He felt about about mankind and what this and this and that. And I stopped and I said, hey, "Whoa!" Except when He killed everybody but eight. He He took out everybody but eight. He went down to eight. So be careful on thinking God is a human worshiper. Now He did that because His His glory and holiness demands it. Okay. He, he, he was very patient. Enoch, I'm going to let you walk on out. Methuselah, I'm going to let you walk on out. He was waiting and was very patient with all those that didn't get on the ark. But they chose not to. They chose to mock Noah. And so when, when Noah's family went in, the eight, which by the way, the number of eight is the number that stands for new beginnings in the Bible. So, so we, as the church, who's the ark? Jesus. So God's wrath is going to come again, the final wrath, and he's going to, as I heard a, a, a pastor say last week, he said, all of you that are worried about all these weapons we have and all these weapons China has and all these weapons that Russia has, y'all worried about we're going to blow up the world. He goes, that's not going to happen. God saved that for himself. Now he's going to blow it up. But now what's going to happen is what? God's wrath, just as it came down on Jesus on the cross, Picture a tidal wave. Jesus stopped it. That was due us. He took it. 
So now when God's wrath comes down on this earth and refines it by fire and creates the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, when that happens, God's wrath will come down on everybody who is not in the ark. And that's what Peter said. He goes, this corresponds to the example I'm giving you of Noah and his family. Baptism now, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, puts you in the ark. And then you, like Noah's family, will be saved. And he says, and he reminds us again what? The suffering servant of Jesus, look at verse 22, is over. Where does Peter say Jesus is gone now? He's gone into heaven and is, the, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Guys, don't forget that when, you, when, when maybe things are getting a little tough. You know why Peter's writing this? Just when, like Jesus, you, want, you know why I think Peter is, is using this example of Jesus proclaiming, Satan, you're defeated to these fallen angels? You know why I think he's, he's thinking on this? Because of Nero. I think this last thing he's writing, he has gone into heaven as at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him, Nero. No, we all subject ourselves to him, not to you. You're not supreme. We will, we will be good citizens, and we will behave, and your persecution of us will be because you're evil, not because we're doing evil. However, and keep in mind, that's why governments, when they're, when they're tyrannical and they're evil, when a government is not under the authority of God and it's tyrannical and evil, the reason why the church throughout history, Hitler, Mussolini, uh, you go back uh, you know, to, to all of these evil people. You go back. They always come after the church. And the re Karl Marx, you know, and, and he, he and you know, Spurgeon was out speaking against Marxism. All of these, Stalin, they eventually go after the church. You know why? What Peter just wrote. We'll behave as best we can. But deep down, if, if they know anything about God, and they know anything about the church, the church will never subject itself to any other king but Jesus, and they know it. Some people say, well, they come after the church because they don't want you evangelizing. That's not what it's about. They come after the church because, you know what, they know inside our spirit we are bowing to Jesus, not to them, and they know it. And that's what Peter is ultimately saying we're going to do our part. We're going to get persecuted. But you, we all know who we subject ourselves to. And you know what, Nero? So do you. He is the one that's in control. Just like Jesus said to those demons, you cannot do what you tried to do because I don't allow it. I'm king. And my kingdom is not of this world. So we'll end there. And, and, and kind of be thinking in your mind, you know, go back and look at these virtues that, that Peter says that we should have as the perfect portrait of the church. You see about, let's ask my question, am I suffering because of my behavior or am I suffering because of my commitment to Christ? And then remember that if you are, don't whine about it because Christ, you know, suffered uh, and gave us an example and then ultimately redeemed us and brought us back into the perfect place and kept Satan from taking away our redemption.
Does that fire anybody up? I hope so. Thank you for being with us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this journey uh, through sometimes things that can be uh, difficult to understand until we have the, the glasses of the Holy Spirit to see this and understand it. And Lord, thank you for allowing us to do that. Uh, I pray today, Lord, that we are refined uh, by the power of your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as, as we always say at this time as we close, if anybody uh, is out there and you're watching this or listening to this and, and the Holy Spirit is piercing your heart and you're saying, uh, something's wrong. I, I don't know that I'll be on the ark. I don't know that I belong to Jesus. Well, then look, reach out. Rick at rickandbubba.com. I'll help you. Or just in the sincerity of your heart, just say, Lord Jesus, uh, I acknowledge you as king. I submit to your authority. I, I believe in my heart that you went to the cross and you paid the price for me. Thank you for that, Lord, that you have, you have um, kept Satan from having me because I belong to you. And I want to give myself to you and I repent of my sins and I ask that you forgive me. If you're sincere about that and you're pleading with the Lord and you're submitting to his authority, the Bible says he honors that sincere heart and he hears that mouth, that mouth that confesses him as Lord. And if I can help you, if you've done that today for the first time or the first time you ever meant it, just reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com, and I'll help you take that next step. Lord, I just pray all across this country, and I pray for tonight, Lord, uh, that you'll, you'll move in a mighty way on the people who are there in Panama City tonight. And uh, continue to take the manchurch.com, Lord, and protect it uh, from the attacks from outside and even from the attacks on the inside. Help us to defeat our biggest enemy, and that is ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us.